It's getting to be old hat getting a Friday phone call. <laughs> and I'll give Roy a lot of credit. Um, now, he didn't give me his sermon notes, but for the past couple months, uh, as a board, we've known that this message was coming, and so it wasn't totally foreign to me. I'd, I'd been rattling around, well, the message hadn't, but the idea and the thoughts had been rattling around in my head. And uh, some days there's more room to rattle than others. And, but uh, the, the title is M Squared EO, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Until then, you can try to figure it out. But we are in Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter 4. And I'm sure you all, any of you who were around 10, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, will remember that awesome series that we went through in Colossians. Um, Phil and I, and I believe it was Dirk, um, taught through that. And like I said, I'm, I'm sure you've got the notes tucked safely away and reviewed often, just like I do. Um, but Colossians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches, warning and encouraging them. Warning them against false teaching, encouraging them to cling to what they know. The false teaching, though it's not mentioned by name, was, was called Gnosticism. And if you understand what Gnosticism teaches, and I'm, there's maybe three of us in here that have ever taken much time to study Gnosticism, so I see it throughout Scripture. Oh, this was here because that's why it was, says this. Um, you, I just, I've learned it. I've, I've come to understand it. Um, no small, to no small degree because I've, I've taught through it enough that, but the tenets of Gnosticism, some of which it, it attacked the humanity of Christ. There was no argument with Jesus being fully God, but he wasn't really human. And if Jesus wasn't really human, then we have no Savior. There was no death and no need for resurrection. There is no hope if Jesus wasn't really human. Gnosticism assails the sovereignty and supremacy of God. He's not all we need. Gnosticism elevates special mystic knowledge, a pursuit of angels to fill me in on what I'm missing out on. And this was part of the teachings of the heresy, the false teaching that was being pushed, that was just surrounding the churches and creeping in. And Paul is writing and warning them, just stay away from this stuff. It's not true. It's not beneficial. It will not further your walk with Christ. And as Paul is concluding his letter... In chapter 4, and, and as you read any of Paul's writings, he, he starts talking and it's almost as if he gets carried away by a thought and all of a sudden he realizes, well, this is taking too much time. I need to wrap this up and boom, 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 boom. Just remember this stuff and do it. See you later. And, and he does that again in Colossians. And in chapter 4, in verses 2 through 6 is where we are this morning. 
Paul writes, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And it wasn't that long ago, I, uh, I think we spoke at a message on prayer and what it means to pray continually. It's like that tickle in your throat that just doesn't go away. You just have to cough. That's how our prayer life, that's where we should be headed. Not that we're on our hands and knees praying all day, but that it's just, it's there. There's that drive. There's whatever circumstance we face, we go to God. Lord, help me through this. What do I say? How do I think? How to respond? How to respond rightly? A consistent and regular practice. Being watchful in it. To be watchful in prayer, to expect an answer. I remember eh, 25 years ago, and there's a group of guys that asked me to join them in prayer in a, for an entire morning, from like 8 to lunch. And they'd asked me in years, you know, prior times, and like, well, no, and I've got this to do, I've got that to do, I, I, I need to be here, I should be doing that. And I ran out of reasonably spiritual-sounding excuses not to do it. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll... I'll do that. I'll look forward to it. <sighs> and even that morning, half hoping I'd wake up not feeling well enough to not lie and say I don't feel well. But praying that morning and having a surprisingly great time. But I remember with maybe a half hour left before we were going to go to lunch, this terrifying thought crossed my mind. Do I really believe that God's going to answer? Was this all just a waste of time, or is God really listening? I was a senior in college. I should have had that one nailed down. But it was a great question to consider because from that point on, I knew when I pray, I need to expect God to answer. It's not just something I'm doing. It's not something I just should do. But when I pray, I'm watchful. And in the course of time since then, I've learned not to expect the answer I pray for. I hope we've all had that experience where God surprises us with how he answers. Oh, I didn't see that one coming. Good. Sometimes we didn't see it coming because we weren't watchful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
I've learned to be pray with thanksgiving. I've learned that from Paul Feeblecorn. And it's not because he sat down and taught me. It's because I've prayed with Paul. And if you pray with Paul, or if you've ever noticed that when Paul prays, regardless of what he's going on, he comes back and says, God, we give you thanks for this. Even in the hard things, we thank you. And we learn to be thankful as we trust God, as we've seen him working in the past, and we trust that he's working now, and we are trusting him, and we're thankful for what he's going to do. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful, expecting God to answer in it with thanksgiving, thanking him ahead of time for what he's going to do and how he's going to work and what he's been doing to set things in place to provide that answer. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. And Paul is asking these folks in the church to pray for him and his work. That divine appointments would be set. That hearts would be ready to respond to the truth of the gospel. That individuals would be ready to repent and give their lives to Christ as Paul explains to them what the gospel is. Out here on the wall we have... 28, 20 plus missionaries and their update letters. And if you don't know what to pray, you can always pray that God would be providing them open doors to walk through. Providing them opportunities to speak to people who are ready to hear and obey and respond to the word of God. Be praying for boldness and creativity as they share. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. If you read Paul's letters, sometimes things aren't always clear in the first two or three readings. I think Paul was a guy who knew so much and he was so smart that sometimes he probably struggled with talking over people. And he's asking these Christians to, to pray that I may speak it clearly as I should. That I will be understood so that I won't be in the way of the gospel going forward. And for you as a church, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, to those who are not part of the fellowship, to those who do not know Christ, to those who do not worship with you. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Walk, live your life carefully so that you don't stand in the way of the cross. So that your actions, your attitudes, your speech doesn't interfere with people seeing Jesus. So that your life doesn't contradict the words that come out of your mouth. Let's not give people a reason to reject Jesus based upon what they see in us. Walk with wisdom, making the most of every opportunity. And verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. Now there are precious few of us 
for which that can be said. My grandmother was one. I don't know how she did it. But there were times where she would be treated horribly and she would say, you know, I'm just so grateful that they felt comfortable enough to talk to me that way and they didn't take it out on somebody who would take it personally. What? (laughs) Come on, Grandma. You can bite them. (laughs) Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I remember a couple years back, Anthony speaking about salt and how it's used in Scripture and, and the uses for salt, but, you know, salt is a preservative. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Preserve relationships. Speak in such a way that doesn't drive people away, but, but preserves those relationships. Speak in such a way that brings healing from hurt and misunderstanding. You're going to treat me that way? You're going to speak to me that way? Well, let me tell you what. I'll give you a piece of my mind that I can't afford to lose. Speak in such a way that heals hurts, that brings healing and understanding. Speak in such a way that makes people thirsty for more. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. We all know those individuals that we enjoy being with. We look forward to spending time with. We all know those individuals that we do not look forward to spending time with. What makes the difference? Oftentimes it's their speech and how they speak and what they talk about. And we're to season our speech with salt and grace so that people are thirsty and wanting more. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We all understand that everybody's different. I've got five kids, I've got to approach them all in different ways. There are some I can yell at and stand on my head and we can get stuff done. And there are some that I, any more than this tone of voice and they feel as if I'm screaming at them. So that you may know how to answer each person. The M squared EO comes out of verse 5. Make the most, MM, of every opportunity, EO. M squared EO. Make the most of every opportunity. We are given opportunities every day. We don't always see them. We don't always recognize them. Sometimes at the end of the day when you're laying in bed, it's like, oh, I should have said this. Why didn't I think of that then? I don't know. But as we learn to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, 
We remember and we learn from, oh, I recognize this as an opportunity from when I didn't take it last time. Make the most of every opportunity. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter writes, but set, but in your hearts, set apart Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Always being ready to make the most of every opportunity. In John 4, 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them, says, the fields are white unto harvest. Stuff is ready to go. The opportunity is there. What do we do? In Matthew 9, verse 38, and I don't know if it's the same conversation or if it's just a different setting, he's making the same point. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord to send workers to the harvest. Opportunities to speak truth. The opportunity to speak graciously and to salt our speech are all around us. It's not like we need a treasure map and X marks the spot and if I work hard enough I can find the opportunity. Opportunities are all around us with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with family members, with those within this church family. And we're called as followers of Christ to make the most of every opportunity. Not to walk away from it or pass it by because I'm tired or I'm busy or I do not want the headache this is going to bring. Maybe I'm the only one that has that thought. This is going to be way more work than I want to get into. Make the most of every opportunity. And what I've found is that I'm able to make the most of every opportunity is one, when I'm looking for it. Two, when I'm praying for opportunity. And three, when I'm intentional about creating opportunity. It's a lot like hunting. I can look out the window and I can see that it's 20 below and it's snowing. And you know, nothing is, in all reality, nothing's moving. But sitting in my chair by the stove, I can guarantee you, I won't see anything. If I go out and look, then there's an opportunity. Then there's a chance that I can have a successful hunt. We need to be intentional in praying for opportunities and looking for opportunities and creating opportunities. The ushers are going to come around and they're going to be handing out some bookmarks here. They look like this. And again, 
you can thank Caitlin, I think, for the design, and Roy and Anthony for the, some of the brain work behind it. But on the top, it says Colossians 4, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And going into the summer, May, June, July, while Roy is on his sabbatical, he wanted to leave you with this challenge to make the most of every opportunity. To be intentional in creating opportunities to reach out. And on this bookmark, you'll find there's five blanks. As they come around, I think they're getting distributed upstairs. But those five blanks are for names of individuals or families that God is going, maybe he's already. (laughs) You've got names buzzing around in your head. But right now, because if you're anything like me, you walk out and then it doesn't get done. But write down at least a couple names of individuals that you want to create opportunity to make the most of. Maybe they're individuals that you know do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe they're curious, maybe they're hostile, maybe they're somewhere in between. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's somebody here at the church. You just, you know, hey, they sit over there, I sit over here, I know their name. I want to make the most of this opportunity. I want to create opportunity to get to know them this summer. And then make a plan. How is this going to look? What is the opportunity going to look like? On the back of this bookmark, there's a number of ideas. By far and away, this is not exhaustive. You may look at all these and you think, I don't want to do any of those. That's fine. Do what you want to do. I know there's an individual here at church who loves to bake. They made a connection with somebody and they found out that that other person loves to bake. And so a couple times a month they get together and they bake. And what I need to do is find out when they do that. (laughs) But that's the point of connection. It's an intentional point of connection to create opportunity to make the most of it. This isn't a program that the church does. This isn't something that's reserved for the pastor. I'll never forget, it's probably, it might be 20 years ago now, this year. And I went turkey hunting, and instead of turkey hunting, we just had a, like a half inch of ice with the storm. And I knew I wouldn't find a turkey in the pickup or visiting a friend's parents, but I was going to be warmer and drier. And so I drove to Wood Lake, Nebraska, and I spent a day and an evening and a night with a friend of mine's parents. He's a pastor in this little church. And I can remember in the Sunday school, 
there were four individuals in there, four guys that the youngest one might have been 70. And uh, the question, one of the questions in that Sunday school class was, what percentage of people do you think came to know Christ, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus as a direct result of the pastor? And what percentage came to know through another contact? And all four of these men said the same thing. Well, shoot, the pastor does that 99% of the time. And I, I just asked the question. I said, I know my friend, and his dad is the pastor here, so I know what his answer is. I says, how did each of you guys come to know Christ? And every single one of them said, well, I had this neighbor, or I had a friend at school. Not once said, the pastor led me to Christ. I says, and you think 99% of folks are different than you? I wasn't teaching the class. I was just being an irritant. (laughs) But we create opportunities. It's not the pastor's job to create that for us. It's not the church's job to create a program for someone to manage. We are the church. We create the opportunities. And as I see someone else creating opportunity, I encourage them in that. I come alongside of them in that. As someone sees me creating opportunities, they encourage me in that and they come alongside of me in that. To M squared EO, make the most of it. You might be wondering, you know, I'm just not a people person. I don't know what to say. I don't know anybody. I sit there and I look at my hands and then my shoes. What do I talk about? Well, I experience that. Maybe not as often as others, but, but what do you talk about? What do you discuss? I don't know. The sky's the limit. Questions I like to ask. What are your hobbies? What do you do when you're not doing, (laughs) making your living? What are your passions? If you could do one thing the rest of your life, what would that be? Maybe they're one of the fortunate few that say, hey, I do it. I wake up every day. I'm doing it. Well, awesome. I'll never forget a guy. His name is Randy. And I don't know how many years ago it was, but as we were getting to know each other, he asked me a question about turkey hunting. And evidently, I went on and on and on and on (laughs) and was very excited as I told him about turkey hunting. And And I could see he was smiling and his eyes were lit up and he was kind of chuckling. And I said, well, what's going on? He's like, man, I just learned so much about you right now. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, I see what makes you tick. I see something you're passionate about. So I learned a lot about you. Thanks for letting me in. Find out. Ask people. What are you passionate about? If you could only do one thing. The last weekend you're alive, what would it be? Ask them about family just this morning. And if I spend the rest of my life here and I die here, I'll be finding out how you're related. You know, I'm not from here. 
And some of you are old enough, you've forgotten how you're all related. But, you know, I'm still learning. But ask about family. If you've grown up here, so how are you connected? Play the grandpa game or whatever, you know. So your grandpa was related to their grandma, to their niece. Okay, I, I'll forget that, but at least I know for now. If you're new to the area, I love asking the question, how did you end up here? Because Huron's on the map, but you just gotta, you got to look. And you can listen for a long time. Just last week, I asked a guy, how did you end up here? And 25 minutes later, I was sorry I asked the question. But I learned a lot about him. There was a point of connection that can be built on. How did you find yourself in your career? That can be a long answer also. Or maybe not. There's any number of ways to initiate a conversation where you don't have to carry it. You ask the question and then you listen. People like to talk about themselves. Make the most of every opportunity. And as we do this, and as we go through the summer, we want to hear about it. We want to hear how it's going. Man, it was a total disaster. Well, tell me about it. Not everybody hits a home run. Not everybody even gets a single. Maybe it's a great thing and you can't wait to tell people. We want to hear about it and maybe even provide some opportunities come July during the ABF hour. Say, this is what we've done. This is what worked. This is how we've seen God move. This is how we've seen God create opportunities. This is how we stepped out in faith to create or take an opportunity that was made available. This is how we saw God work. And I was scared to death, but God. Things aren't going well with it. Let us pray with you. Maybe we can tag team. Maybe more than one can have a disaster. I don't know. Misery loves company. talking to Roy yesterday, he says, I look forward to seeing the new faces when we come back, to seeing people we haven't met. And not because of anything they did, but because of our obedience to the Word of God to make the most of every opportunity. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.